We've got on the phone, though, our good friend Mr. Al Bat joining us. And, of course, he never lets weather, rain, nor sleet, nor hail, or anything stop him from checking on the birds. Isn't that right, Al? That's right. Boy, my feeders are so busy here. Are they? I expect to, oh, I expect to hear yakety sacks. <laughs> That song that played during the chase scene on those old Benny Hill shows where they did the funny (laughs) running around and everything. So uh, pine siskins seem to be everywhere. So it's just really neat to, to have them there. And Harris's sparrows, which I sometimes hear whistles they pass through in the spring, they've just magically appeared. And I whistled on their behalf, and why not to bring up another song as Monty Python's Eric <laughs> Idle sang, When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle. Uh, autumn colors, boy, they've popped and some have fallen. Well, many have and fallen unlike, right now. You know, oh. Al, why is it now that there's so many birds? My sons were mentioning that. They said, Mom, look at all the birds. Put some seed out. Put some seed out. And I was hesitant to do it because, you know, then it attracts the voles and the mice and things. Are they trying to find some last-minute nour- nourishment before they head south, or what's the deal? Some are, and uh, this is a time of year when we get the first snowfall like this. It just blows in huge numbers mm. uh, of Oh, house sparrows and starlings are probably the two main ones that come to mind. And it doesn't literally blow them in. They're just out there doing whatever they do. And then they say, oh, my gosh, no, that's, hey, I know where there's a feeder, where there's all kinds of food, and we don't have to expend so much energy. So they will come here, and I'm still seeing some... uh, uh, I'm still seeing. I'm seeing a lot of birds, uh, juncos and Harris's sparrows, uh, yellow, uh, white-throated sparrows. I just had a yellow-rumped warbler at a feeder here, but the sparrows are down there digging through the leaves because uh, you know, unlike Maxwell House coffee, whose slogan is "Good to the last drop," a leaf is even good after the last drop. So they're. The birds are there. They're just raking the leaves looking for food under there. And the frost, for folks that uh, are nervous around these creatures, it has deleted most of the wasps and bees. So Emily Dickinson wrote, The pedigree of a honey does not concern the bee. A clover any time to him is aristocracy. And, of course, she said him. And we all know that the bees that do all the work are females. That surprises no one. I've listened to Blue Jays this morning. They, they're they vocal every day, and I guess they're just saying, uh, you know what, it's snowing. Maybe that's what they're telling one another. I think they're discussing the Electoral College, <laughs> the merit of it is what I think. But uh, Mark Twain wrote... You never saw a blue jay get stuck for a word. He is a vocabularized geyser, and I think that's probably true. I saw horn larks gathered on the roadside. It was a, a bit of a wind there, and some of you might remember there was, and there might still be, a brand of cigarettes called Lark. And there was a irritating commercial, as most uh, commercials that are effective become irritating. Uh, I think it said, show us your lark, your lark, your lark, your lark, something like that. And I've never seen a horn lark smoking one, but I know they were out there. There was a roadkill muskrat on the road. Saw several of them yesterday. Captain and Tennille, I'm bringing up all these song links. <laughs> 
uh, saying muskrat, muskrat, candlelight, doing the town and doing it right. In the evening, it's pretty pleasing. Muskrat Susie, muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug at a muskrat land. In the shimmy, Sam is so skinny. I I don't know if that was Sam on the road. I just uh, <laughs> sorry to see him go. I guess I have nothing more to add to that. Uh, Brenda Katasek is from St. Peter, and Brenda is a, a wonderful person who volunteers at the fabulous Henderson Hummingbird Garden in, of all places, Henderson. And she saw the last hummingbird on October 6th and the last monarch butterfly on October 8th this year. I got a nice note from Alan uh, Walter, who listens from Carrollton, Ohio. And he says, speaking of woolly bears, pay attention to the ones crossing uh, paved roads. I've been puzzled for about a decade now that they always seem to be crawling exactly perpendicular to the road. In other words, they always are picking the shortest route across the road. How is that possible? Their eyes are only three-eighths of an inch off the pavement. They couldn't possibly be able to see the far side of the road. I know. I've laid my head down to try to see from that height, and you can't see that far. You know, I'm going to be looking at them in a different way now. Uh, They have an amazing ability uh, to know where they're going and they head there and i know as kids we'd pick them up and put them down and they would just uh, immediately turn around head right to where they were uh, headed before we interrupted them uh art and barb straub they're from lesseur and uh, art and barb write a column for the uh, uh, henderson independent and he sent me a couple photos asking for help in ID, and he said, uh, we really, Hi, Al, we really appreciate your advice on the skipper. Had never observed one to identify before. It stuck around very briefly. Uh, the skipper is a little, it's a butterfly, but a lot of people look at it, and it has kind of moth, a moth-like look to it. I just, they're just one of my favorite insects out there. I say that about pretty much every insect, but I just love seeing these. And he saw it on Lantana, which is a very common place to see them. And he also asked, he sent me some photos. He said, uh, I think two weeks in a row I named the bird a purple finch, but now we're getting, we're betting it's a common house finch plague of our in-town potted plants. However, this one was at our woods feeder where we've never had one before and Barbara took a photo through our shack's window. And it is, uh, Art was asking if it's a purple or house finch and it's a male. So it's got the reddish color on it. Uh, The reddish color on a purple finch is spread over the body a lot more and it's kind of a wine color uh, or maybe a raspberry color where the house finch can be reddish or orangish or sometimes even yellowish so it's definitely a male purple finch art and barb and art also sent along something and you've probably tried this maybe uh they're having some deer that are uh, he planted dozens of tulips, daffodils, allium, and sprinkled the same with one of the deer guards. And he said the doe was in it the next day. The repellent <laughs> is called Tomcat. It's yeah. a granule supposed to keep all, including humans, from trespassing. I don't know how that would work, work. But uh says the, the doe really wasn't phased at all. 
She said, the best luck we've had is with one cup milk, one egg, one gallon water, and spray. Uh, we didn't do that live and learn. Uh, Harvey Benson from Harmony uh, has a red-breasted nuthatch, an eastern bluebird, a pair of them there yet. And he says, time to hang Irish spring soap on the trees so the deer stay away. Uh, Jody Bollinger of Albert Lee is seeing eastern bluebirds in her yard. And uh, Karen, you sent me something from the journal, uh, was it Ecotoxicology? And uh, studies find that at least 58 songbird species show demonstrated effects from mercury. Yeah, we keep hearing about, you know, fish being affected by mercury, so I thought that was an interesting study that they were equating it to birds now. Yeah, and it's they said of 200, it was really cool, thanks for sending it, of 286 songbird species that breed in North America, 141 were sampled since 2005, so they've got a pretty good sample now. 41% of those species sampled showed adverse effects from mercury contamination. And you're right, we think of it in the water, but you know, mercury pollution is a global problem caused by coal combustion, gold mining, and, and other activities. <clears throat> uh, Jim and Merlene Stiles of Austin saw a hooper spot a swan, hooper swan, in the mill pond in Austin. It's a Eurasian bird. Uh, Tom Oots of Austin saw it on a private pond. And this is a bird that's in uh, Finland, Siberia, the Lucian Islands, those kind of places. So it is a cool bird to see. It's likely an escape bird, uh, more than likely. Uh, Sarah Loker says a juvenile red-bellied woodpecker with a badly deformed upper bill uses uh, my feeders in southwestern Rochester. I believe it's offspring of my resident pair whose bills look normal. There is a second juvenile whose bill also looks normal. No other birds appear to have this problem yet. Should I pull my feeders? If so, for how long? Thoughts? Uh, for a long time, researchers have ruled out, Sarah, the a number of possible causes of these deformed bills. They've studied chickadees a lot. They've for a long time said it was not bacterial, it was not fungal infection, it wasn't caused at bird feeders, it wasn't from contaminants. And then in 2016, a team of researchers from the California Academy of Sciences, which is, I believe, at the U of California in San Francisco, and uh, well, the USGS, I believe, was involved with that. They used new technology, anyway, to identify a previously unknown virus. And I'm, I'm thinking of Peaky virus, P-O-E-C-I-V. I'm not sure how no, to pronounce no. it. It's the same family as a common cold, and but they're still trying to determine how it is transmitted. So, uh, Sarah, I guess maybe clean the feeders a little bit, but just keep feeding them, I think. They need you today. Uh, Susan Wistie of Duluth said, Al, thanks to hordes of pine siskins, the food in my thistle feeder retreated about an inch an hour today. <laughs> Art check. I had a female purple finch, white-throated sparrows, juncos, a flicker, and a red-breasted nuthatch at my feeders. Uh, the fall is here. The birds say so. Tammy Vogel. 
We're at our cabin near Niswa and went through a 50-pound bag of chips and 30 pounds of Niger seed this past week. I stopped counting the siskin hoard at 120 wow. birds. So fun to see these hyper little guys. Last year we had two pine siskins total. Juvenile loons are still on the lakes with a random pied-billed grebe here and there. Purple finches left us on Friday. Sadly, no coots. We used to see massive flocks of them as they stopped over. Been three years now since we've seen the big flocks of more than 80 birds. Uh, Sue Wegner, who listens in uh, Maine, said the Maine migration is going well here. Eruptions of the exquisite and exquisite red-breasted nuthatches, pine siskins, which I had never seen or more likely consciously identified until this fall, and some finches, a prodigious flight of flickers, hundreds. Mm. A few raptors were about following their migration. I guess that's how it would have been with the movements of the long-departed passenger pigeon flocks, lots of hawks and falcons tagging along for the buffet. Uh, Terry Michaels. Uh, Terry lives in Mankato, said, Dear Al, I'm sure you know this. Uh, Well, don't be sure about anything, Terry. Uh, Did you know that geese go by three or four different names depending on if they're flying on land or in the water? On the ground is a gaggle. When in flight, they're called a skein, a team, or a wedge. Or in the water, they're called a plump. (laughs) That's a funny name. yeah, plump. I've not heard that. I have a brother-in-law who calls the geese sky carp, no matter oh. where they might be located. So he's he's melted it down to one name. And I wanted to talk more about yeah. geese since you're on that topic. I got a note here from sure. Roger Davidson, who is, is with the loons in northern Minnesota. He says he just went online and listened to an old segment that included whiffling, flying upside down. And he showed a photo of, of the geese flying upside down. And he said, looking forward to today's segment. And so let's talk a little bit about the geese and whiffling. What in the world do they do that? I mean, flying upside down, what is that about? Wouldn't you, if you could fly, wouldn't you fly well, upside down? I suppose, but I mean... Yeah, of course you would. We all would. <laughs> That'd just be so cool because we all remember from when we were kids, most of us, we would have this one chair that we would yes. get on, <laughs> and we'd get on it upside down and just look at the world upside down and say, wow, this is, I'm walking on the ceiling. Uh, whiffling is a term used to describe the behavior whereby a bird rapidly de- descends with sort of a oh, zigzagging, side-slipping motion, and to whiffle, a bird will fly briefly with its body turned upside down, but with its neck and head kind of twisted 180 degrees around in a normal position, so a chiropractor's dream. (laughs) And the aerodynamics, which usually gives the bird lift during flying, are thereby inverted, and the bird briefly plummets towards the ground before it reverses and the bird adopts a normal flying orientation. It resembles a falling leaf. I should have just said that to begin with. That would be so much easier. A falling leaf, and it just... uh, it's used by geese. Uh, there's also, you see it in some shore birds and things, and ducks, but geese are the ones that we see uh, the most. And it's just uh, used to avoid uh, maybe avian 
predators sometimes, or to avoid a long, slow descent over an area where uh, hunters are. I see that a lot when they do it, when they know hunters there. So it's a behavior they just perform before landing. And thank you, Roger, very much for bringing that up. Boy, I, I love to talk about whiffling. I'm an old wiffle ball player. So, <laughs> man, I, I had a curveball break four feet. But the problem was everybody had a curveball break about like that and wiffle ball. And uh, somebody just sent me a video. There's, like, wiffle ball national tournaments now. Who knew it would ever come to that? But, but thank you, Roger, very, very much. Carol Lang of Albert Lee sent me a couple of photos of a Carolina wren. She said, you were at my place in 2005 when I last had this Carolina wren here, and now I've got one again. So that, that is cool. Uh, Tim Scott of Mankato said uh, he sent me a thing that said, researchers have captured a bird, a rose-breasted grosbeak, at Powder Mill Nature Reserve, an environmental research center in Rector, Pennsylvania. Now, folks that know rose-breasted grosbeaks, you know, the males and females have pretty distinct plumages. Uh, if it's a male, you know, it has certain colors, female has certain colors. But this bird, there was a photo, has the signature shades of both sexes. Uh, they saw the male coloration has pink wing pits and a red breast splash and black wing feathers on the right side of the body but on the left wing it's browner had yellow pits uh, color combination found in females and this condition when, which an animal possesses male and female traits divided down the middle of the body is called a bilateral gynandromorphism morphism morphism and I didn't know when to stop saying morphism. Uh, so really cool. Thank you. Uh, Rod Meyer of Mankato sent me something from Bloomberg News. And he said, the, it said in this article, the buzzes and trills of white-crowned sparrows can vary dramatically over a few miles. These distinctive dialects have made the species a focus of ornithological attention for decades. Researchers have mapped 10 birdsong dialects across San Francisco, their borders shifting and evolving over time. In recent years, many of the urban sparrow's melodies have been masked by noise pollution. The birds began singing at higher frequency to overcome the cacophony of cars and city life, but that changed in March when Bay Area counties went into the coronavirus lockdown. Traffic disappeared, coyotes began prowling the traffic-free streets, and nature began healing. When the research, what the researchers found is that the city sounds dimmed, the urban sparrows' songs changed. They didn't get louder, but they got sexier. <laughs> the birds were able to say more and say it better because they didn't have to shout so much. So they could whisper sweet nothings to one another. Uh, Bob Williams saw a stilt sandpiper in Sibley County and a Pacific loon in Blue Earth County. Uh, Chad Hines saw a white-winged scoter, a surf scoter, and a lesser black-backed gull in Blue Earth County. The Bethany Hawkwatch came up with a golden eagle, which is really a cool bird to see here. And Dan Allman saw a leased flycatcher, a Carolina wren, and a Cape May warbler. Oh, one of my 
my favorite warblers in Blue Earth County. So really a, a lot of neat birds that were still being seen. Uh, some of them will hunker down and attempt to spend the winter here with us, and the rest will probably wait for a nice day and then get the heck out of here, especially if they got maybe a wind that will help them go south a little bit. Uh, we were talking about moles one day, and somebody uh, called in. I think they were from Austin. Didn't leave a name. But they said, I got them all over my yard. How fast can a mole tunnel? <laughs> and I read something from Purdue University. Purdue University is great. They're always putting out these wonderful extension things. And they said that moles can tunnel 100 feet per day. And I've been told and read often that they can dig 160 feet in a single night, but I couldn't find any research documenting that. Uh, moles nest deep underground, but they make tunnels as they burrow through the soil in search of food. Uh, surface tunnels are those raised ridges in lawns that the moles create working just below the surface. And I have to say, folkloric remedies haven't proved effective in uh, discouraging moles. And I, I, one year I tried pretty much all of them. That was my... That was my big project, and I found, you know, boy, what is it? We put gum in there, juicy fruit juicy gum. Juicy fruit gum, yeah. I tried that one year, and I don't know if it really worked or not, but I chewed a bunch of gum and put it down the hole, like they said, and it's supposed to, I don't know if they eat it and they can't digest it. but uh, And lately I've seen on the, there's a, a, a gardening um site on Facebook where people ask other people for remedies and and of course moles and voles were one of them and you had all the everything from the juicy fruit to put pepper flakes down and just about everything you can imagine and some people swore by it they work same with the you know putting Irish spring out for deer and maybe it works for some but I don't think it works for everybody yeah I I have to say I tried all those and I I, I just you know, even as a kid, I wondered, why would the mole chew juicy fruit gum? Why, does it have to be juicy fruit? And, of course, the neighbor Bud said, yeah, it does. You can't use blackjack or Beeman's or anything. It has to be juicy fruit. And I thought, I like juicy fruit gum. I don't think I'm going to give it to the moles. I can't imagine a mole down there saying, hot dog, there's some gum, and then having problems with it. But, you know, maybe... Oh, here's one that's uh, probably more up your uh, in your bailiwick than mine, but somebody asked, what can I do about powdery mildew on lilacs? And I told them just learn to ignore it. Yes. It's a cosmetic disease on most woody ornamentals, and really um, I, it shouldn't harm it unless, uh, I don't know if you just had an exceptional outbreak of it. I've never seen that. You know, so it just seems to be one of the things they get. My peonies get it every year, so I cut them down. A lot of times you can help prevent it at least by thinning things out. If you get really good air circulation, that helps. So maybe if your if your lilacs are very thick, you know, very crowded, you might just thin them out a little bit. I mean, it'll help, but it, like you said, it's usually cosmetic. It usually doesn't kill them. But that's one thing you can at least try to do is give them a little more space, a little more air movement, and that might help. Yeah, because look how tough they are. You drive through the country, and you can see where the farm sites used to be because there's still lilac. The buildings are all gone. The barn's gone. The people are gone. What's still there? The lilacs. Well, lilacs and asparagus. The asparagus plants still seem to be thriving, and we can really see them now with the beautiful yellow colors 
on the, the asparagus. The same person asked another gardening question. I'm sorry to get gardening questions here, Karen, <laughs> but uh, do you recommend using pruning paints on trees? I do no. not because the, they slow the natural heating yes. or healing. And you, you know, I suppose if you pruned an oak during the growing season, you might want to just put like a latex house paint over that because it keeps those sap beetles away. And I talked to somebody one day, they were doing, oh, I can't remember what kind of work they were having done in the, uh, in the yard. Anyway, they had uh, heavy equipment and one of them tore off a branch on an oak tree. And they were, uh, they called to ask, and I said, boy, put like latex paint on there immediately because those sap beetles find mm. those things immediately. And they're the ones that transmit the oak wilt, sure. and you don't want that in your beautiful oak tree. But you sure don't have to go get any pruning paints, just no. the regular, because all you want is a physical barrier. So any paint one. You could paint, you know, different pink. You could put <laughs> pink on there, and then you could give directions to your place by the pink oak tree. But uh, they're great questions, and I guess they tie into both things, because sap beetles are at work there, and uh, they're the ones that a lot of people will call picnic bugs. And they're just uh, they're little guys that bite us and do terrible things to oak trees. So they're not, uh, not welcome. Uh, I hear them referred to as garbage uh, or garbage pail bugs. I hear that a lot. Uh, and poor New Richland, when I was a kid, they were called New Richland bugs because we used to go to ball games there, and they'd always be around uh, where guys would throw all their beer cans and things in the trash, and they'd be just swarming with these guys. So uh, sadly, us uh, nasty boys from Heartland started calling them New Richland bugs, which was, uh, <laughs> which was wrong, and I apologize now. I know there's some good folks from New Richland listening, and I, I, wanna, I just wanted to get that off. You know, it's good to apologize for things get them out there and you said we got something from john we did of course john has is one of our regular listeners well he sent a picture of a wasp uh nest that's empty now he says a wasp net was nest was at his dad's in andovers and then he says i bet al knows this one and you always know that's a no <laughs> okay here we go why are pumpkins are... the most beautiful crop why are pumpkins the most beautiful crop? I have no idea, John. They are very gorgeous. Oh, gosh. <laughs> John, I don't know. That's a good one. And Your, yours are always good. And then he and said, I have. Oh, I was going to say, then he said he saw a black squirrel at his. Uh, that was the first black squirrel he's ever seen. He saw it last week at his oh, dad's in Andover. He says it was great to see and beautiful. Yes, they are. And, and so, yeah. That's it. And most most of the black squirrels we see are um, are gray squirrels. With, oh, they're melanistic, so they're black. I, I'm guessing it it could happen to fox squirrels, but boy, all the ones I see are gray squirrels. And there's certain areas where you see a lot of black squirrels. And John, I agree with you. They are. Uh, I think all nature's creatures are beautiful, but boy, those black squirrels are just exceptional. There's just something about them that just takes my breath away. Uh, I agree because they remind me of Bombay Bombay cats, which is of course the purebred cats we have that are well, pure sure black, slick, shiny, patent yeah. leather fur. Yep. So. <laughs> I'm I'm a fan as well. <laughs> well sure. I I want to thank everybody for listening, man. You know, I 
get out a little bit, not much, but I was um, fortunate one day to travel through Union Hill and St. Patrick both. And I know a lot of folks, those are cities uh, A lot of, in Minnesota. Uh, they are ball towns. And I think of as having a baseball field, a bar, a Catholic church, and not much more are necessarily in that order. And they always bring back memories. I recall being a bat boy years ago for a local squad in a town that was only slightly larger than those, but lacking a Catholic church. I offered bats to batters, and I retrieved foul balls and home runs. The deal with those, if you snag a ball out there, there's 25 cents involved bringing the balls back. But I didn't last long at that task because I couldn't afford to pay a quarter each time I retrieved a ball. So remember, <laughs> folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Thanks for listening. And do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, thank you, as always, for your exquisite company. Al's great to chat with you again. Uh, stay warm. And uh, I think the snow's not going to stick around. But I guess we should go out and f- put some bird uh, feeder- feed in the bird feeders, huh? What did, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now because they've eaten it now. What did you say? 5.8 inches? Possibly? Well, you know, that's, I saw anywhere from 2 to 4 inches, and then the weather underground said uh, had 5.8, and I just looked at it now, and now it, it's, it's, it's a blank. I think they're changing their mind again, so, you know. Good, because five point eight. <laughs> I was going. I was going into the bunker. Yeah, I, was just I do. Bunker down. <laughs> Get the snowblower <laughs> revved up there. Thanks, Man. Al. <laughs> Thank you. Bye yep. bye. Bye bye. Always great to chat with our good friend Al Bat in Heartland, Minnesota. It's ten thirty three, and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning.